Let's get into the Word. If you have your Bible, why don't you take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians, because that's where we're going to start, and we're going to be flipping through our Bibles, so be ready to do that too. Uh, During preparation for this week's sermon, I was rereading a Christmas letter from 2010. My wife uh, does Christmas letters every year for the past 30 or 40 years, and we've got them all uh, together. And 2010 uh, was a difficult year. She started out by saying it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And uh, it was. There's a lot of difficult things that we were going through that year. Uh, uh, Kidney cancer and uh, surgeries and and this and that and personal problems. And it, it was just a very difficult time. But um, there, there was one of the quotes that she had in there for, by Rick Warren, and he, he said this, life is a series of problems. Either you are in one now, you're just coming out of one, or you're getting ready to go into another one. The reason for this is that God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He's more interested in making your life holy than making your life happy. And a few weeks ago, Doug told us that pain was part of the plan. You remember that? Pain is part of the plan. There's difficult things that we're going to go through. The worst of times and the best of times and the worst of times. And in that letter, the point that Mary Beth was trying to make was that despite the circumstances we face, God is still in control. God is still in control. We can trust Him in whatever situation. He knows exactly what's needed in our lives to make us holy, to make us more like Him. That's His purpose. That's what He wants. He wants us to be like Him. And so He allows us to go through all those difficulties. And uh, we need to trust Him and be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves But how can we be content when all of these bad things are happening? When one thing after another seems to be going wrong? How do we find contentment? Satan wants us to look at all those bad things and just uh, uh, get covetous. He wants us to to look at our circumstances and covet, lust, and, and want more. That's what Satan wants. But God wants us to look at what we do have and be thankful and content. And so that's one of the things that uh, I want to talk about today. Because in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, Paul is, has, has made a statement that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. He said he's content no matter what. He's content in each and every circumstance. Whether he's abasing or abounding. He is content. And so what I wanted to do this morning is to take a look at that situation uh, and, and see if, if he's left us any clues, any insights as to how he achieved that contentment in the midst of all those. And the, the book of, of Philippians is a book filled with joy. It's a book of joy. Every page, every chapter has joy in it. And if you want some joy, just start reading through that and you will enjoy it. Paul wrote it while he was under house arrest in Rome, and his purpose was to thank the church in Philippi for sending a gift. They had sent Epaphroditus with a gift, monetary gift, for him so that he would, uh, his needs would be alleviated and he'd be taken care of. 
And he was facing the worst of times and the best of times. But in the midst of all that, he said, I have found the secret, the secret of being content. And so let's take a look at chapter 4 in Philippians. I'm going to read it uh, together, if you can read along as I read it out loud. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live a life in harmony with the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that in the, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And everyone said... Amen. God bless the reading of his word. That's where Paul was. Paul's secret of being content was right in the midst of the difficult times that he was having. Picture this. Paul in Rome, chained between two burly Roman soldiers. And every day, there was another two soldiers that would be brought in and chained to him. Uh, you know, probably had bad breath and stunk and, and, you know, it was a difficult situation to have that. Everything he had lost for Christ, he had lost everything. 
He was shipwrecked. He, he had uh, been bitten by a snake. You know, people thought he was going to die, but God miraculously healed him. He had lost everything. And, and yet here he was in the midst of this. And he says, I, I don't speak from want. I'm content in whatever circumstance I am. Whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I am good. I can, I can solve anything. I can be anywhere and still have my focus on Jesus. Their gift was a, free, a sweet smelling sacrifice to them. And Paul commended the, the Philippians for what they gave. And, and we, sh we should be giving too. That's something that, that God wants us to do too. But the, the thing that I see there is that Paul sees things from God's perspective, not his own. You remember when Dave helped us through that sermon series, our perceptions of our circumstances leads to self-talk and that leads to our behavior and our actions. We have to have the right kind of perceptions for our behavior to be that way. For us to be content, our perceptions have to be right. We have to have the right perspective. And that's what Paul had. He had the right perspective. He's, he was able to see things straight. And he relied on Christ to do all things through him. Uh, take a look at Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, oh, 13, not 12. And in Hebrews it says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. There's a command that, that the, the Word of God tells us. We need to be content with what you had. But he says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, that's where Paul was. What's man going to do to me? I'm in prison. I'm at the end of myself. I, I, I'm happy because I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us to have that kind of God perspective to see things right where they are and say it is enough God will take care of me Teddy Roosevelt said do what you can with what you have where you are amen that's what we need to do and so Paul was content in the midst of all this but how did he get content and I think as I was thinking about that, I looked at the first nine verses of chapter four, and I think I saw some keys to having that kind of contentment. Because this is what Paul looked at before he said those words of being content. So we're going to take a look at five keys for contentment. We're going to go through those uh, scriptures, but there, there are five things that I want to focus in on this morning that I think come from uh, Philippians 4, 1 through 9, okay? First thing, relationships. Relationships. The second thing, rejoice always. The third thing that Paul did was he recognized the nearness of the Lord. The fourth thing is that he was anxious for nothing. He was content in every situation. He counted all his blessings. And the fifth thing is he focused on what was good and true and honest and of good report. He focused on the word of God. 
He focused on what he knew of God. So those are the five things we're going to kind of unpack those insights to, to see that's what gave him contentment. And some, some of those things, I pray, will help you in finding that contentment in the circumstances you find yourself in. Amen? So the first thing, how did he achieve this level of contentment? Uh, the first thing was relationships. The whole start of chapter 4 begins with a problem. <laughs> or an opportunity, maybe? These two women, Euodia and Syntyche, were having a problem. They, they were at each other. Now, be honest. When the family gets together for Thanksgiving or Christmas, does it ever happen that a couple of the ladies kind of get at each other? Or some of the men kind of get at each other? And they have problems? And, and, and they need help to work things out. And so Paul is reminding these people in Philippi that, you know that problem you have with Yodia and Syntyche? Well, Clement and this other guy, whatever his name is, he doesn't, doesn't actually say. And all the rest of you too. Help them. Help them solve their differences. Help them have the right kind of relationship. Because that's the critical thing of our lives. Relationship is what, what being a Christian is about. We're in this together. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Doug said that, that we needed to work on relationships to cultivate them before you need them. You know, you can't just wait until you're in problems and then go find somebody. Now, in the church, you probably could. But it's better if you have a relationship. It's better if you already know that person. And you know their needs. And you know what, what they're going through. I can remember when I was in seminary. And, and one of the other seminarians was, was telling me about, oh, woe is me. You know, my wife has to go to uh, the, the, the laundromat to get their clothes dried because our dryer broke. And, and we've been doing it for two or three weeks. He said that to me. And I said, I know how to fix the dryer. I went over to his house. I put a new belt on there. The dryer worked fine. You know, but he didn't tell me about it. But when he finally did, I was able to help. I was able to do something. That's what relationships do. When there's a need, when there's a problem, if you let your brother and sister know, share with one another. Share your burdens with one another. That's part of what God wants us to do. Relationships build us up. An old Irish proverb says, it is in the shelter of each other that the people live. We need to develop those relationships. We need to be hearing what other people need and being able to meet those needs. That's what made Paul uh, content. He was able to meet their needs. They were able to meet his needs. Relationships are critical. And in Romans chapter 12, let's take a look there. Talking about relationships within the body of Christ. This is what chapter 12 of Romans says about our relationships. Starting in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one in body, one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that give, differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. 
or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who lives with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We need each other. We need those relationships. If we want to be content in the midst of difficult situations, we need to develop those relationships. We need to have those friendships. And we need to be the people that reach out and do the things that need to be done. When you hear a need, fill it. You remember Robert Schuller used to say, you know, when there's a need, fill it. That's what we need to do. That's part of being the body of Christ. And that's a key to being content. Amen? Amen. And then going on back in uh, Philippians. Flip back to Philippians 4 again. And starting in verse 4, there's a series of imperatives. You know what an imperative is, right? It's a command. Not optional. If you're a believer, if you've been saved, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, it's not an option. These are things that God commands us to do all the time. And the first thing he says is rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The believer's life should be filled with joy. Amen? And it's not something that we have to work up from inside ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you and it produces fruit. You just need to let that fruit come out so that people can enjoy it. We need to allow that joy to come out of us. The whole book of Philippians is filled with joy. Hebrews 13, 15 tells us that we should be constantly praising God with the fruit of our lips. When we came in this morning, we praised the Lord together and worshiped, didn't we? That was the fruit of our lips. Our joy was evident. I enjoy coming in and uh, Ricky leading us to the throne of God. Uh, And Ricky's great, but the throne of God is better. Amen? That's what we're here for. And when we come to the throne of God, we can't help but being overjoyed because of what God has done for us. Rejoice always. Our inner attitude does not have to reflect our outer circumstances. Um, James 1.2. If you look at James 1.2 real quickly, maybe you can quote it too. Consider it joy when you find yourself in good times. Oh, wait a minute. That wasn't what it said. Was it? Consider it joy when you find yourself in trials. Fiery trials. Yay! Okay. Some of you should be rejoicing right now. 
Consider it joy. We have to make that switch. We have to have the right perspective, like Dave said. We've got to have that perspective that says, consider it joy when you fall into diverse trials. Consider it joy. We have to have that. Satan wants to steal your joy. Do you want him to win? No. no. Satan is under our foot. And we need to crush him. There ain't nothing going to steal my joy. That's what we need to remember. And, and as I was working on this sermon, there's a song that, that just spoke to me about this. Ain't nothing going to steal my joy. It's by Zach Williams, and it's called Old Church Choir. And, and I love it when it says, I've got that old church choir singing in my head, you know, and I've got a sweet salvation. That's joy, folks. Listen to it. Listen to it. And enjoy. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. A Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Ain't nothing going to steal your joy. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to have that joy bubble up from within you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. And then the, the next thing, um, the next key is that the Lord is near. If you look back in Philippians, it says, um, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And that is such a simple idea, and yet it is so profound. There's depths to that that we need to mine. There's, there's things there that we need to realize how important that is. Uh, a man named Gene Edwards, in a book called Christ Before Creation, wrote these words. This glorious Lord who created all things, this glorious Lord with all creation in Him, this Lord who finished all things before He created all things, this Lord who chose you in Himself before the foundation of the world, this Lord who wrote your name in the book of life, either before the beginning or at the end or somewhere in between, and who turned the greatest of all gambles into no gamble at all, this is the Christ who was slain before creation. This is the Christ who is the glory of the Father. This is the Christ who is the all, who will be and is the all in all. This is the Christ who is the beginning and the end. This is the Christ who is free of, above of, beyond and outside of all space, time, and even eternity. This Christ has a point to make, a message to bring you. The point, the main point, the incomparable point, the point above all points, a point you must spend the rest of your life considering and laying hold of is this. This Christ lives in you. Christ in you. He is near you. He is in you. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you. He said he would be with you through the good times and the bad times. He is with you. There's power in that to be content no matter what the situation. I don't know how many dark times I've gone through. And the only thing that stands there is the fact that God is with me. God is with me. No matter how much I've blown it, no matter how much things have happened that, that are beyond my control, God is always, always with us. And we, we don't always grab hold of that and hold on to it. We need to listen to that, to be strong and courageous and to recognize that God is for us. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? It can't, it doesn't have to happen. Deuteronomy 31.6 says it this way. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. God is with us. We can count on Him no matter where we are, no matter our situation. Amen? Then the fourth uh, key that I found uh, is back in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. 
Be anxious for nothing. That's, that's the fourth key in, in verse um, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray about everything and be thankful, especially at Thanksgiving, especially at Thanksgiving. John MacArthur in the Decision Magazine this month said, Thanksgiving season is a wonderful opportunity to heighten your sensitivity to the blessings bestowed by God. And he pointed in his little article, five blessings we ought to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. For our salvation, we heard about that on that song, that sweet salvation. He also says that we should be thankful for the truth of God's word. Amen. We need to be thankful for life storms. Ooh, goes back to James, doesn't it? Be thankful for those storms. And then fourth, he says, be thankful for faithful churches. That's you guys. I am so thankful that we came to Grace Fellowship and that we found a home here. That, that's, that's strength. That helps us through the difficult times. You know? Doug is a phone call away. Other people are a phone call away. That's the strength that we have. And for the people in our lives that make a difference. Our family. Our friends. The people that we come in contact all day long. Those are the things that we need to be thankful for. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And we need to take time to be thankful for them. To name them. You know? What are some blessings that you were thankful for? I'm sure at Thanksgiving dinner they said, what are you thankful for? Right? And kids said, Thanksgiving, turkey! But what are you thankful for? What are some blessings? My husband. My husband. Oh, good job. Anybody else? Yes. God! Amen! That's right. He's always with us. He never leaves us. Anybody else? What are you thankful for? Health. Health. Yes. My kids. My, yes. Family. Family. Pastor Doug. Pastor Doug. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. We're thankful for you. <laughs> but we're thankful for all kinds of things, aren't we? There's, there's so many things that we need to be thankful for. In fact, let's take a look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And verses 17 and 18. Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. It's impossible to count every one of your blessings. Did you know that? We could sit here forever and just say one thing after another that we're thankful for. One blessing after another. We we could go over and over and over, but we'll never come to the end of the blessings that God has for us. That's what that that scripture is saying. It's it's immeasurable. We can't find them all out. 
Where am I? Okay. Martin Luther warned us, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. We tend to exhibit a degree of thanksgiving in reverse proportion to the amount of blessing we receive. A hungry man is more thankful for his morsel than a rich man for his heavy table. Consider the parable of the widow's mite. Jesus commended her for giving all that she had, a mite, while others were giving large donations. And then consider this. If birds only sang once a year, we'd paid attention. But since they sing every morning, we scarcely bother to listen. You know, God has given us such an abundance that we don't always take the time to count them, to name them one by one. One of the things my wife has done for us is called an encouragement notebook, a folder of all kinds of things that she writes down and makes them all look pretty. And, and as I was reading through them, uh, these are some blessings that, that she counted that, that, that help us when we're going through difficult times. If you own just one Bible, and most of us has more, you are abundantly blessed. One third of the world does not have access to even one. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million others who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If your parents are still alive and still married, you're very rare, even in the United States. If you hold up your head with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, you are blessed because the majority can, but most do not. If you can hold someone's hand, hug them, or even touch them on the shoulder, you are blessed and can be a blessing because you can offer God's healing touch. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you're part of a small minority in the world. If you can read this message, you're more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world who cannot read at all. It's all a matter of perspective. Don't be discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1. And verses 3 through 7. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And when we go through hard times, God has a purpose. God has a purpose so that we might be able to comfort other people. The difficulties that you face may be an opportunity for you to share with somebody else down the line. Whatever you're going through, you can, in this way, our pain can become a conduit of care for those in distress and lead us to gratitude in the midst of pain. Uh, another song that came to me as I was thinking about counting our blessings has that actually in there. It's called Count Them All, and it's by J.J. Week. So uh, listen to this as you think about counting your blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, till all is well with your soul. Count your blessings, move on past your doubt. Count your blessings. When fear is screaming loud, count your blessings until your heart overflows. Every blessing, great and small, every breath, every step we walk is a gift we don't deserve from a love we cannot earn. There's still a song to sing, even in our deepest need. The valley's low and mountains tall. Take a breath and count them all. Count them all, count them all. Count them all, count them all. Count your blessings, even when it seems. Dark. Count your blessings, even with a hurting heart. Count your blessings and remember whose you are. You gotta remember whose you are. Every blessing, great and small, every breath, every step we walk is a gift we don't deserve from a love. All the strength that you will gain with every whispered thing. All the joy that comes alive. All the peace that won't subside. When everything around you shakes and still you say. Every blessing, great and small. Every breath, every step we walk is a guilt we don't deserve. From a love we cannot earn 
things that God laid on my heart was, was that song and one other that we're going to close with too. Counting your blessings is so key to living in contentment. And, and we take things for granted. That's just the way we were, were built. That's the way, it's a, the warning that Martin Luther gave us. But we need to spend time just allowing that kind of music just to percolate within us. And, and to fill us so that we will remember the blessings. Amen? Then, then the last uh, uh, key, the fifth key, focus on what is good and true. Going back to the book of Philippians, that um, <clears throat> verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is anything, any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, one of the critical things for a good cup of tea is to take that tea bag and put it into boiling hot water and let it steep. And when it steeps, it releases all the flavors. It releases all the good stuff into the tea. And then we can drink it. God knows that's what we need. He puts us in the hot water. And he lets us steep in it. So that all the good stuff comes out. And so that we can be a, breath, a drink of fresh water to someone else in the world. That's part of why God allows us to go through those difficult circumstances so that we can be a blessing. And that's what Paul was. He was totally immersed in all the good things of, of the word. Every thought captive, everything, what we put into our minds, what we fill our lives with is going to come out. It's going to come out. And so this, this was the, the last key that Paul had. He filled his life with all those good things. And the word of God is, is key, but there are other good things in life too, aren't there? You know, we spent a week at the, at the uh, Cayucos looking at the, the water and walking the beach and seeing the beauty of what God has created in this world. And I'm sure that each one of you has some favorite spot that you go to just to receive a blessing from God. Uh, God has a lot of those beauty spots throughout our life that we need to take from. But we need to have God's word in our life. We need to read it every day. We need to meditate on it. We need to immerse ourselves in it so that we can be um, uh, filled with those things. It's not enough just to know God's word, though. 
It also says we need to put it into practice. Practice these things. Put it into practice. Hebrews 13, 16 says it this way. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. When we do good and share, God is pleased. Um, Helen Keller said this. I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as if they were great and noble. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. We need to push along God's agenda on the little things that we do as if they were great and noble tasks. We need to put God's word into practice. Um, one of the groups that we support is Johnny and Friends, and, and they have a, a ministry called Wheels for the World. Um, they give away wheelchairs to third world countries. And in the last newsletter, there is a story about Franklin and his pa parents. This is a picture of Johnny and them praying at the end of uh, their time together. But, but she said this, I met Franklin and his parents on a Wheels for the World outreach in El Salvador. My husband Ken and I were particularly interested in his family because Franklin's disability is so severe. He cannot speak, he's brain damaged, and he's paralyzed. My heart broke for Franklin and his family. Here's a family with so little struggling to make ends meet and provide for their beloved boy. I was so vividly reminded that people with disabilities are often abandoned and unloved. But the story didn't end there. God supplied a happy ending through your prayers and support. Franklin's parents would never be able to afford a wheelchair, and they became breathless with amazement and appreciation when we fit their child with a pediatric wheelchair. It would cost over a year's salary for one chair in El Salvador. No wonder they listened intently to the gospel, and they prayed to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. No wonder they held tightly to their new Spanish Bible as they left. Hearing the good news after seeing Christ's love put into action for their son moved their hearts to accept Jesus. We need to put God's word into action. Whatever we can do. I think the United States is, is a, a giving country. We have so much. We need to give to places. We have ministries in Uganda. We have ministries all around the world that we as a church support. But I encourage you to step out and do something to make a difference. Whatever it is, whether it's Johnny and Friends or whatever the, the thing that the Lord lays on your heart, God has given each of that, us that ability to give to something, some way. But that's putting God's word into practice. Put it into practice. And when you do that, you'll have contentment. You'll have the contentment that, that Paul had. We need to put things into practice. Fill yourself up and then give it out. Amen? So that's the fifth key. And so what I wanted to, to close with, I, I had wanted my wife to play the piano and because and, uh, I don't carry a tune very well, but we're, we're, there's another song. I'd like you to stand with me and let's, let's read through these words of this song together.
if you will, with me as we close. Count Your Blessings. It was written by a bivocational Methodist Episcopal pastor for the young people of his church. I don't know about you, but I grew up when there was hymns. And, and hymns still mean something to me. Some of you young people, you may not <laughs> know that, but there's power in the words. There's power in the thoughts. You know, so this was written for the youth, you know, because it was too cutting edge of a song back in 1897. This was really, you know, just stuff for the kids. And, but now, this is something that we fall back on. When upon life's billows, billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly. And you will keep singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands in gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings wealth can never buy, your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. The next verse. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be disheartened. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Now the refrain. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Let's pray together.